from UNH Cooperative Extension. This is Overinformed on Fruit IPM. When I was a master's student, the Pfeiffer Lab had a newly planted field of fall-bearing raspberries to conduct research in. Fall-bearing raspberries were the new hot thing back then because they produced fruit on that year's wood. This is a big deal because in comparison to traditional summer-bearing raspberries that put up prime canes, these are just the vegetative growth in their first year, those primocanes become floricanes in their second year. It's the floricanes that produce flowers, which are pollinated and become the delicious fruit. So in these traditional raspberries, summer-bearing raspberries, it's best to prune out old floricanes at the end of the year to make way for the primocanes, which will produce fruit for your next year. Fall-bearing raspberries, on the other hand, produce flowers in their first year, so you don't have to do the tedious task of pruning. You can just mow them down every year. Easy peasy. The only trade-off was that you have to wait a little longer for these plants to produce fruit. Instead of June or July, fall-bearing raspberries produce fruit in the fall. I remember Dr. Pfeiffer commenting on how this made for a really interesting entomological project because introducing what amounted to a new crop in the field could bring new areas of pest management research. Little did we know what we were in store for with the arrival of spotted wing drosophila, or SWD. I often think back to those simpler times in a pre-SWD world where small fruit crops in the Northeast didn't have any serious pest problems. I mean, for blueberry, you might have to worry about mummyberry on really bad years, uh, maybe the tifrited fly, blueberry fruit fly, but even blueberry fruit fly has one generation, so you could have potentially mass trapped it, and even if there was a need to treat, it was one and done because there was one generation. This is not the case with SWD. SWD is definitely a topic I will return to often, but here's what you need to know. This fruit fly is an invasive pest accidentally introduced to the U.S. some time ago. It was first detected in California in 2008, where it was definitely a concern, but not as much as you might think. Since it's uh, so hot and dry in California, and SWD can't handle hot and dry conditions very well. The first East Coast detection was in Florida in 2011, and fruit workers were horrified to see detections all the way up the East Coast, all the way up to Canada in that one year in 2011. It was really unprecedented. Major crop losses were observed in 2012. Many growers saw 100% crop loss due to SWD infestations, especially in northeastern areas where many small fruit growers didn't rely on a lot of pesticides. Actually, many of these growers found themselves with a unfortunate choice between investing in spray equipment and education on pesticide use or bulldozing the crop. Lots of people bulldozed, but many people have found a way to live with this pest. 
They call SWD spotted wing drosophila because the males have a very distinctive spot on their wing, but that's not the most important thing about this fly. The female has a serrated, heavily sclerotized ovipositor, and this is something that her native cousins do not have. If these terms don't mean anything to you, this essentially means she's got saws on her lady parts. Uh, and those saws allow her to cut into the skin of growing fruit and lay her eggs. This is what makes her an agricultural pest and not just a nuisance pest like some of the native fruit flies that might come into your kitchen. These eggs hatch and larvae develop in the fruit, making them very gross. Sometimes the fruit will drip off the plant, fall off the plant, and the larvae will pupate in the soil, leading to another generation of flies who are ready to lay eggs within days. Best management practices are to protect plants with a broad-spectrum insecticide when you have ripe fruit and when the fly is present on your farm. Another particularly diabolical aspect to this pest is that it develops really well in wild hosts. Almost any wild plant that produces fruit. This means that a new wave of flies will regularly fly into cultivated space. So even though insecticides do a pretty good job at controlling insects that are in those plantings, there's a new crop of flies entering these spaces um, almost on a weekly basis. Printing plants to let light into plant canopies and cleaning up drop fruit can help quite a bit as far as a cultural control, but there isn't much in the way of natural enemies for this invasive pest. So consult your guide, read your labels, and rotate those insecticide classes to avoid resistance. I spoke with one of Maine's specialists working with wild blueberry about the state of IPM in a post-SWD world. Okay, so my name is Lily Calderwood, and I am the Wild Blueberry Specialist for Cooperative Extension at the University of Maine. And I've heard um, from a few people that they don't even like to use economic thresholds anymore, or that term. But in the case of blueberry magafly and SWD, like those, those numbers are really important. Blueberry magafly in the wild blueberry system, which, and when I say wild blueberry, I mean low bush blueberry. So these are blueberries that are like six to eight inches off the ground and they're big fields, almost like a cornfield or a hay field, but they're blueberries. So we have a big field of blueberries and the maggot flies are migrating from the forest edges. A lot of Frank Drummond's work looked at the behavior and flight patterns of these blueberry maggot flies coming into the fields. They're pretty weak flyers, so they actually fly low to the ground and they come directly from the forest edge into the edge of the blueberry field. They don't skip the edge. They're not coming from the forest into the center of the field. So he thought, okay, well, we could maybe we could just spray the edge of the field and that works very well. And even today, we're still using that practice. The recommendation today is to spray the product 25 feet from the edge of the forest based on trap numbers. So surrounding, before you go out and spray, you wanna put out uh, blueberry maggot fly traps that are similar to the apple maggot fly traps. They're yellow triangles that you put out I think one per acre in our blueberry fields. Once you get to 10 
supplies per trap on average. That's your threshold. That's your economic threshold, as we call that in, a, in IPM. Then you can warrant a spray application. And that spray application is not the entire field. That's the point when you can go and spray 25 feet of the edge. I asked Lily to compare the phenology of blueberry maggot fly to SWD. Like, what time of year do you expect these guys out there? Right. So blueberry maggot fly is a pest in July in Maine. And SWD, it depends on the year. Uh, we've been monitoring SWD for, I think, five to ten years now in Maine. And it's variable. Each year is a little bit different. Typically, we're expecting SWD to arrive to southern Maine in early to mid-August. Later on, like right at the third or fourth week of our blueberry harvest, we'll see SWD arrive to the down east region, which is the furthest north and east that we grow blueberries. Um, but last year, in 2018, we actually had SWD arrived to the down east region before it arrived to the southern part of Maine. And so that was very confusing. So there's a lot we don't really understand about this insect yet, especially in its new territory. There is an army of entomologists working on several aspects of this pest biology, ecology, and management. So stay tuned for more. But I asked Lily to summarize our best approaches for blueberries in the Northeast. So you would be monitoring for blueberry maggot and probably SWD at the same time. Yeah. And if you detected a threshold population of blueberry maggot, you could perhaps just do a border row application to manage blueberry maggot while you're continuing to monitor for SWD, which would probably occur later. Right. And then you would probably want to do your whole field if you reach the threshold because SWD will spread themselves throughout the field. Is that exactly? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that because there is some variation on that trapping that you should be trapping both at the same time. Right. And they're different traps. So, so what's that's the, a lot. Tell us about the SWD trap that you guys are using in Maine right now. Right. We're using the sugar and yeast combo in a red solo cup. Monitoring for SWD can be done with stuff you can buy at the grocery store, sugar, yeast, red solo cups, uh, and a whole bunch. Um, or you could listen for reports of SWD in your area. George Hamilton posts weekly trap catch data for many regions, southern regions of New Hampshire, on a weekly basis. So check for those numbers on the Extension website. Look for weekly SWD scouting reports. That's it for now. Thanks to Dr. Calderwood from the University of Maine and special thanks to Brentwood's favorite son, Jason Lightbound, who wrote and performed our theme music. 
Overinformed on IPM is a production of University of New Hampshire Cooperative Extension, an equal opportunity educator and employer. All music is used by permission or by Creative Commons licensing. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the university, its trustees, or its volunteers. Inclusion or exclusion of commercial enterprises in this podcast does not equate endorsement. The University of New Hampshire, New Hampshire counties, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture cooperate to provide extension programming in the Granite State. Learn more at extension.unh.edu.